Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. Well, good morning again. If you're just joining us on the internet, this is the 10 a.m. service of Whitestone Christian Fellowship in upstate New York. We are excited because we're going to be getting into the the story of Jesus' birth. And the story of his birth started, started long before his actual birth date, whatever that date was. The church celebrates it on on December 25th. But only you know the date, Lord, and it really really doesn't matter when you came. The fact that you came is much more important. We're going to be uh, looking uh, at our, our reading this morning in Isaiah 59, verses 19 to 21. And then for our message this morning, for the teaching, we'll be looking at Luke 1, the first 25 verses. God's will for the barren. Before uh, before we get into the reading, I need to tell you a little story. There's a flip calendar around here at church, and I happened to look at it yesterday. And it was a it was a story about a, a little six or seven year old guy. And he was he was looking at the the crush the the manger scene that his parents had set up in his in his house. And all of a sudden he went to his toy box and he came out with a figure from one of King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table in full armor regalia. And he took that little figure and he put it in with the manger scene. And his parents are thinking, what the heck is he doing? But then he went to the drawer and he pulled out a little teeny piece of duct tape and he put it across the figure's mouth. And they said, Tommy, what are you doing? Who is that? There were no knights at the... at the." at the manger scene in Bethlehem? Well, that's the silent night. <laughs> Don't you know? Anyway, please turn, in, please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 59, and we'll read verses 19 to 21 together. <clears throat> So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against Him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto Him them that turn from transgressions in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me... This is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, 
shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth forevermore. The one who has the Spirit of the Lord upon him is Isaiah. And it's a promise. It's a promise that his children and his children's children for all of time will not have, will not lose the word of the Lord in their mouths and in their minds. But we also know that the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus. And He came. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to free the captives. And all of us are captive in the flesh as we live and breathe. And He came to free us from the sins of the flesh, which we experience temptations every day, every week, without fail. And the Lord says that His Word, and if we're talking about the Lord God Jehovah, then His Word, who is Jesus, will not depart. Will not depart from us. He will not depart from our children and our children's children. The generations of people that have learned God's Word, studied God's Word, worship in churches, that will go on forever and ever. And it will be a renewed generation every, every 20 to 40 years. That's exciting because we're watching that being fulfilled with every current, every past, and every future generation ahead of us. In verse 19 that we just read, it says here, and so shall they fear the name of the Lord. It's a future tense. They shall fear the name of the Lord. From the west, from where Isaiah sat, the west is us. And from where Isaiah sat, and his glory from the rising of the sun, which is in the east. And we know that there is no end to eastward and westward. It's a direction of travel. North and south ends at the poles. But east and west goes on infinitely. In verse 20, we see that Isaiah's words, it says, and the Redeemer shall come. And these are not Isaiah's words. These are the words of the Lord to Isaiah. The Redeemer shall come. Now, we first run into that word Redeemer in Genesis chapter 3.15. And there it was, it was the son of the woman that was going to come and redeem all mankind. But it was the son of the woman. It was a family member. One of her descendants that was going to come to redeem. We see that in Jesus Christ just in the 
in the listing of his ancestors all the way back to, to Adam in the Gospels. But it reminds us of something else. It reminds us of Ruth from the book of Ruth and Boaz. Boaz was also a redeemer. It was the, it was the habit, it was the law that somebody from the family, if, if a husband died, someone from the family, the closest relative would come and redeem that marriage so that offspring could come and carry on the family name. And Boaz was that kinsman redeemer, a relative, a relative of Naomi's son who had passed away. So it's important that we understand that this redeemer in all aspects when we see it, it refers to a kinsman redeemer, somebody close to the family, related. And it's usually the closest one. Now in the case of Ruth, Boaz was not the closest one. There was one other that was closer. But he was already married. And he had a lot of responsibilities. And he turned down the opportunity. He turned down the opportunity to have his name recorded in Scripture forever. Now that's not something that he would poss could possibly have known ahead of time. But when we look at when we look at Boaz and Ruth and their offspring, we find, we find their great-grandson, King David, in the line. That's an important, that's an important statement to be reminded of. Because the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is said to have and prophesied that he would take he would take the throne of his father David forever he would take the throne of David in Jerusalem he takes the throne of heaven also being the son of the father It's important that we look at some of these individual little words and understand some of the depth and the background of why they are still in use today. And the Redeemer shall come. The kinsman Redeemer shall come to Zion. That's Jerusalem, the hill that, the hill that Jerusalem was built on. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. Transgressions of Jacob are rather interesting and they're numerous. If we remember the story of Jacob in the Old Testament, we understand that he kind of stole the birthright from his brother Esau. And the name, the name Jacob means heel catcher. And while he and his twin brother Esau were being born, he caught the heel of Esau and finagled his way out of the birth canal first. 
That's what the heel catcher means. And we find that it means also a dirty, sneaky thief, someone to steal things. Jacob did not have a good reputation. But neither did too many of the others in the Old Testament that God used in mighty, mighty ways. We look at the rebellious Samson, another great man of the Scriptures who was born to a barren woman. We look at Abraham, whose barren wife gave birth to Isaac. We look at Isaac, whose barren wife, Rebekah, gave birth to Jacob. And the list continues to go on. And even to, even to where we are today in Mark chapter 1. And I apologize, it's Luke chapter 1 where we are today. Luke 1, verses 1 to 25. Luke is an interesting, <clears throat> an interesting one of the evangelists who wrote a gospel. It's, it's a point of debate whether he actually actually had been a follower of Jesus or if he had been a convert later on. But he writes to a friend of his. He writes two letters to this friend, Theophilus. He writes the gospel for Theophilus's understanding of the events in Jesus's life. And even at this point in the first chapter of Luke, he gives Theophilus some background into the prophecies concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus. And John the Baptist was, of course, the forerunner. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and he offered people a baptism of repentance. He also wrote the book of Acts as the second the second book that he wrote to this Theophilus. And he begins this, uh, this book here, the Gospel of Luke. And he says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them to us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word. Theophilus, the name, the name means, and we don't know if it's an actual name, but it's certainly a title for this man that he's writing to, Theophilus. He says it's a lover of God. That's what the man's name means. That's what the, the word Theophilus means. A lover of God. But it wasn't theagape. It wasn't a perfect love. It was a brotherly kind of love, if that's the case. 
And for that, we find that Theophilus is somebody who is interested in the story of the Redeemer. Maybe he has some questions, though. He's certainly a friend close enough to Luke that he has asked questions, and Luke decides, I'm going to write everything down that I've heard so that you have an understanding like I have an understanding. Even as they, in verse 2, as they, who's they? The ones who are eyewitnesses. The ones who walked and sat at Jesus' feet. The ones who shared meals with Him. The apostles, even as they delivered them, those things that were about Jesus' life, they delivered them unto us. You and me, Theophilus, you've heard these stories too. Which from the beginning were eyewitnesses. Those, that's the they. And ministers of the Word. And that's what they did. The apostles ministered the Word. They were filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and they went out in all different parts of the world. So he says, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent lover of God, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. You've got questions. There's mysteries in the faith. There's things that aren't necessarily answered. But it's a step in faith to say, here's what we've learned. Here's the order of how we learned them. This is the order of how things happened when Jesus came into the world. That thou mightest know the certainty of those things. Don't doubt. Don't doubt. Just believe. And believing is a choice. We don't have to have proof. We didn't have to live through it. We didn't have to experience it. We hear the stories in the Bible and the Lord says, believe. Because His Word is true. He says, believe. Choose to believe. Even as it says in in Hebrews 1, faith is not something that has proof at every turn. It's something that we choose to believe and something that we choose to follow and experience it in the spirit realm. But that thou mightest know with certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Now there was in the days of Herod, this is Herod the great king of Judah, Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, Moses' brother, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before the Lord. 
There's a passage in Paul's epistles where he says, I was perfect in all things of the law. But that was perfect in an imperfect perfection in an imperfect thing. And, but he was perfect according to the law. And that's what these two are. They are both righteous before the Lord. And he is a priest of the temple. Zechariah the priest. They walked in all of the commandments and ordinance of the Lord at the end of verse 6, and they were blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both now were well stricken in years. Well stricken with it. They were not youngsters. They were not newlyweds. They were old folks. They were well known around the temple. They were the, they were the gray hairs of the temple congregation. And they had no child. And that's one of the things that is a, a problem, is problematic for every, every Jewish woman of the Old Testament. Every one of them knew that there was a prophecy that there was going to be a Redeemer born in the bloodline. It was every Jewish woman's hope that they might be the one. They had no child. That puts, a, that puts a pall over her as people look upon someone that's barren. Oh, God shut up your womb, huh? And because they believed that there were generational sins, they thought, oh, somebody in your family must have done something really bad. That God had to shut your womb up. God didn't want any more of your kind. But miracle of miracles, Elizabeth did have a son. And this is the story of it. And as it came to pass that while Zacharias executed the priest's office before God, the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense that went into the temple when he went into the temple of the Lord. They had a separate altar of incense. I've I found a picture of it for the front of the for the front of the uh, the bulletin today. And it's kind of interesting because here's the priest, and he's got on the breastplate with all of the different stones including the Urim and the Thummim. This is all the regalia. This is all the rite that they had built in to the worship of God. So he's at the altar of incense, and the incense, the smoke from it, the aroma would fill the temple. The aroma would fill the nostrils of everybody that came into the temple. And the smoke that went up from the incense was significant because it represented the prayers of the believers rising up to the heavens, interceding, requesting, putting forth petitions for healing, for wellness, 
for faith. All the same things that we pray for. Even praying for the salvation of our children and sometimes our parents. Everybody's walk is a little bit different, but here's all the prayers of all the saints going up, rising up into the heavens to God's throne. That's the representation of the smoke from the incense. But the, the incense had to be burned every morning, and so Zechariah is there performing his duty in the temple. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside, without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him, Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled. After all, it isn't every other day that an angel appears next to you. He was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, this strange angel appearing to Zechariah knows his name. Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Here he is in old age. Elizabeth and Zechariah have been praying since they were married for a son. <laughs> and now in their old age, this angel called Zechariah comes up and says, hey, your prayers are answered. <laughs> you hit the lottery. <laughs> your prayers are answered, Zechariah. Uh, and no doubt, it's a prayer that he prayed every day. And it's a prayer that Elizabeth, no doubt, prayed as well. Those prayers were among the incense smoke that rose up to the throne of God and God sent an angel of, of the realm down to instruct, instruct Zacharias. Your son, your wife, your wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. The children of Israel, the Jews, the ones who followed the Scriptures, the Torah, they followed the law to the best of their abilities. And many of the children of Israel, many of the people that thought they were righteous, shall turn to the Lord their God. This is really interesting because this is like saying, oh, finally, all of the people in your church are going to be saved. Well, then what are they doing in church to be in the first place? People come to church for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's networking for business. Sometimes it's just a sense of community because 
There is nowhere else. As we were praying for those two firefighters that passed away in, in Pennsylvania this past week, I remember my days in the fire department and it was called, it was called a poor man's country club. It was a place to go. It was a place to be seen. It was a place to network among your, your fellow firefighters. The same things happened in the fire department that happened out on the course of the expensive golf courses. The same thing happens in a lot of churches too. And they come, people come, sometimes not to worship God, but to network with their friends to see family members, to stay in touch with their neighbors. There's all kinds of reasons. And we even see at this time of year when people that we've never seen before come into our, come into our congregation just because they think it's the thing to do at this time of year. We wonder, well, where are you for the rest of the year? Where are you for May? and June, and July, and August. You come in March or April for Easter, <clears throat> and you come again in December for Christmas. And maybe if the mood hangs in there, you'll, you'll be here for New Year's Day too. People come to church for a lot of reasons. But in this case, this says that John... Many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. They'll realize their sins and they will repent of them as he offered them baptism. He lived out in the wilderness. He didn't live in the city. He didn't live near the temple. He lived out in the wilderness. And people came to him some people came to see this sight of this man in rags and animal skins preaching about God. We have people like that today. Vagabonds who preach about God. People set up their tents and their campsites and they teach about God. They experience Him through through nature. But this man was appointed to be living apart from that, from the righteousness of the law and the temple and still preach about God. He was appointed back in Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's what we just read in <clears throat> before the, there was one coming. And he shall go before him in the spirit of, and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children 
was natural affection lost to that generation as well? Were the fathers so busy that they weren't around? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to lawbreakers, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's, <laughs> that's the purpose of the church, is to prepare people for the Lord. Prepare a particular, a peculiar people ready for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> Whereby shall I know this? This is doubting, doubting Zechariah's. Every group has a doubter. Luke had Theophilus, perhaps. The apostles had Thomas. And here Zechariah gets a word from an angel of the Lord, and he says, how am I going to make sure that this is true? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. An angel of the Lord comes, and suddenly the man's faith <laughs> is gone because he's focused on the ritual. He's focused on duty. He's focused on all the wrong things. He's not focusing on prayers being answered coming down from heaven. He's focused on the smoke going up. Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well stricken in years. She's no longer producing fertile eggs. And somebody that's well stricken in years, nothing is new under the sun. Old men can't perform like young men anymore. How shall I know this? And the angels answering said unto him, I am Gabriel. Now that should mean something. When we see, when we see Old Testament words that end in E-L, it means of the Lord. Israel, the soldier of the Lord. I didn't look up Gabriel, but we do know that Gabriel is the announcing angel of the Lord. He announces good news and tidings of great joy. I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee to show thee these glad tidings. But okay, you want a sign? How will you know these things? How will you know for a surety that I'm going to have the sun finally after all these years? Sounds like a fairy tale to me.
And Gabriel said, and behold, in verse 20, he said, behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Gabriel was sent by God with this message for Zacharias. You have this angelic being standing next to you in all His glory. And it's no wonder that fear comes upon people when they suddenly find themselves in the presence of an angel. We see the power of God and the Word of God coming forth. They will be fulfilled in their season. And until that happens, you will not be able to speak, Zacharias. You'll lose your tongue. You'll lose your words. They'll be fulfilled in their season. The people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. Well, he not only had the incense to deal with, he had an angel to deal with. <laughs> Nothing like unexpected guests to stretch things out. Anyways, because thou believest not my words, the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. He's giving, him, he's giving them an explanation. They perceived that he had seen a vision. This is like a game of charades all of a sudden. Zechariah's got a motion with his hands to try to explain what happened and why he was so long so long at the altar of incense. If he had a if he had a a marker pen and a big tablet he could he could play Pictionary and try to explain to the people what what he saw. Maybe even draw a nice picture of it. But I would guess that he's probably unnerved not only at the vision that he had seen, but also of the fact that he can no longer speak. You're not going to be able to say a word, Zacharias. Not until all these things are fulfilled. And from this point on, it's at least nine months until John is to be born. They perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Enough for you being in the temple every day, all day long, Zacharias. Your days of ministry were over. They were cyclical. 
They would be assigned something else for their next duty cycle among the other priests. He departed into his own house. And after these, after those days, his days of being in his own house, go home and make love to your wife. Don't be so caught up with the duties of your office that you abandon your duties as a husband. That's a problem with a lot of a lot of ministers. They get so caught up in the ministry that they forget to be good husbands and fathers. He finally departed into his own house and after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and now she hides herself for five months saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked upon me to take away my reproach among men. It was a reproach that a, that a woman couldn't conceive. Was it because of old age or was it because Zechariah was so caught up in the ministry? It's just an interesting question to pose. And we, we won't forget that they're well stricken with age anyways. But as this angel Gabriel would appear to Mary pretty soon, the angel would say to her, with God there is nothing impossible. With God all things are possible. Old age has nothing to do with bearing children. Your ability to perform physically. It's an amazing thing. And so here's another one of these barren women who has been praying and praying and asking the Lord to give her a son. The husband has been doing the same thing and his prayers are going up. You know, it's one thing to pray about something. It's another thing to do something about it personally. <laughs> Faith has to be followed up with action. Sometimes we just have to do things. We have to take a step in faith. The angel told me I was going to have a son. Well, how is that going to happen? Elizabeth's child wasn't born without Zacharias. And Elizabeth being able to carry the child, even in their old age. This is a delightful story of wonder, of questioning, of doubt and prayers being answered because it was the Lord's will for no other reason than this was all the Lord's will that it would work out that way. So when we find that we're childless, when we find that things aren't going the way we would like them to go, God has a purpose in it. And ultimately, it is always going to be the purpose that God is glorified 
by the results. God is always going to be glorified in the lives of His believers. The doubters, they'll be brought to shame. But God is glorified in what He's doing in each life here present today. He's glorified in each life that's listening on the internet. On this day, whenever you're listening to it, God is still in control of everything that He created. He hasn't, he hasn't relinquished a bit of it. Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein He looked on me. God looks upon us and He wants to take away our reproach. He wants to change people's opinion of us. He wants to make us better than we were the day before. He wants us to grow in faith. And all of these years when they were well stricken with years, God still had that plan in mind for them far off into the future. God knew God knew who was coming up the line in the Davidic line, the bloodline of David. Both Mary's family and Joseph's family were of that Davidic bloodline. From two different of David's sons, but always coming back to David and the throne that he was to take, that Jesus was to take. Timing is everything. And God's timing prevails in our lives. It keeps us from striving. And hopefully it keeps us from being distracted by the wrong things. To live holy and righteous is, the God, is God's design and His plan for us. And if you're not there yet, you will be. <laughs> you will be. It is his it is his responsibility that if we are if our names are written in the lamb's book of life it is his responsibility to get us there and he'll do it without fail heavenly father as we as we approach christmas the celebration of your son's birth here on earth Lord, we look at the timing of everything going on around us and even everything that has happened in the last 2,000 years since Christ. But Lord, we can't forget what happened long before, even in the Old Testament. It's all leading up to a point. Every book of the Old Testament is pointing to this Redeemer that's coming that we now know has come and He will come again. He will come again. We praise You, Lord, and we thank You. We ask You to just encourage us this week. This is the time of year when we get frazzled and frustrated. A lot of running around, a lot of distractions. But Lord, help us to keep You in our focus at all times. Our desire is to glorify You in all things 
even in the hard things, Lord, be glorified today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us that Thy way may be known upon earth, Thy saving health among all nations. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Don't lose sight of Jesus. He's walking you across that big parking lot at the mall. Don't let go of his hand because there's some crazies out there driving in the parking lot. (laughs) God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations column, log on to whitestonecf.com. There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at whitestonecf at gmail.com or call us at 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible, teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to Him.